You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. Because we're finishing First John, and because I uh, soon, and because I think it's uh, it's just key to remember this point from week one. In the background of this text, to me, and in the background of the letter, but especially to these verses, is we can't forget that for John, he's writing based on his personal memory of Jesus. Okay, he is not writing uh, a letter simply. He is make, writing a letter to make corrections, but it's not simply philosophies and ideas that he's thought up. What, what correct Christian theology is, okay? Although that's not a bad thing. John's writing out of his personal experience of this man he knew named Jesus. And we know this from the very beginning of the letter. He says, really poetically, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning, and then he calls Jesus, the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we, he's speaking of himself and his fellow disciples, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John... John is a prophetic guy, actually, in terms of, he, he's writing about prophets here, you'll see. He is a prophet, just judging from his writing and the, the differences between him and the other disciples. Uh, he wrote the book of Revelation, for example. He's a prophetic guy. We might talk more about what that means in a little while, but John's, John's style of writing is prophetic, and it's coming from his passion, his, like, like, this John mentioned, his black and whiteness, he's very, he's almost dualistic sometimes, very dualistic, it comes from his personal experience of Jesus. And when I was meditating on this text, I was reminded of this passage in the Gospel of John chapter 8. And I'm just going to read it, I might refer to it later, but it's to me the background of what John's writing. John's writing things based on his memory of things Jesus said and what he taught him. So I'm just going to read this to you. It's John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed in him, and this is John writing it, right? To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Jews answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, which when Jesus says it, it means listen. I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And they say, Abraham is our father. And he says, if you are Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. 
As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what I say. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And John's not coming up with his own ideas, eh? He remembers it. Jesus has now ascended to heaven in the story. John has started a community, and the community has been broken apart by what he calls pseudo-prophets, false prophets, teachers, people who are changing the simple message of Jesus for the community, leading people astray, breaking apart the church. So John remembers Jesus' words, what Jesus said, what he taught him, what he was about. He remembers this exchange with these Jewish people this day, I think. And he says this in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This question, just for you to reflect on as I, as I go. Do my beliefs, my actions, does my life as a whole, do they represent Jesus or do they not? the Jesus of John's gospel, the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus that you know, does my life, my actions, my beliefs, do they represent Jesus well? Or do they not represent that Jesus? John uh, takes the emphasis now. If you've not been here in the prior weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just assume you've heard some stuff so you can go back at this point. He moves from speaking really angrily against these people, okay, which he's done, to talking now about spirits. Okay? So in this section, he says, he just starts off, chapter 4, Don't believe, do not trust every spirit, but test them, examine them, to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. For John, the, and the, the world of the New Testament, and I we want to talk about John, for Jesus, if you're interested in Jesus at all, the, the world that Jesus defines for us, the way he explains what life is like and the world is like, is that it, it, there is a world that our world, although we may not see it, although some of us may not feel it, has spiritual elements to it, to say the least. Uh, we talked about in transformations, I forget which week, but I talked about evil and how really I think if you believe in evil, you should believe in a spiritual world, and it would, it would be good for you to do that. John doesn't explain to us all what this means, but he just shifts into saying, therefore, based on everything I've said before, 
don't just believe every spirit. He doesn't say don't believe people, interestingly enough. He says don't believe every spirit, but test them. It's important to understand for the text as you go and continue reading it and studying it that for John, we're not, in, we're not free beings, actually. I don't speak here today totally free with my own ideas, as much as I would love to believe that was true. Pride says this, our world in general says this, I'm free, I'm self-made, I am rational most of the time, and I think for myself. I don't just follow after anyone. But the truth of this scripture and Jesus' life is that none of us are free, actually. Not totally free. None of us are ultimately rational and independent either, although we would like to think that's the case. We're all the product of something or someone else. We all come from somewhere, and we are all of something. That's the point that Manuel points out, is that it's all about the source. John wants to say that these people that were speaking in the church, it's kind of like, forget about them for a minute. And he says, everybody is from somewhere and speaks, I'm getting ahead of myself, but speaks from a spirit and acts from a spirit, which is uncomfortable, I think, for contemporary people. That my life is not my own, actually. It's either given over to Jesus or it's automatically given over to something else. And the, 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 the trajectory of my life is defined maybe even more so by the spirit that I live out of than by my own free actions and choices. The word spirit, although John doesn't explain it, is, is the Greek word pneuma or pneuma, which means breath. It's the same root where Lisa's talking about Yahweh during worship in Hebrew. And the spirit although it's talked about in many different ways throughout the New Testament, by the definition of the word is the, is the breath or the DNA or the spirit, like we talk about it, of a person. God himself, too, has a spirit. Okay? Uh, the spirit is not just like the weird part of God that some people like. It's God himself's own being, his spirit, his identity, his DNA. And so what John is, is saying is that God has a spirit and there are spirits that are not God. Then he says that there are, just so you know that, then he says that there are many pseudo prophetize the word, prophets, people that speak for God. Okay. In John's understanding of prophet, right now I could be a prophet because John's not saying that it's someone who tells the future. For John, it's someone who speaks for God in some way. He calls them pseudo-prophets, meaning they claim to speak for God, but they're lying. Whether they know they're lying or not, they're lying. So he says that we live in a world where there's many spirits, and many pseudo-prophets have gone out into it. Meaning, he's saying, that in the world that we live in, there are many, many people saying things about God that believe that they're true, that they are, but they are in fact not true. So the question that arises in the text, which is really important for us, I think, is how do you know when it's God's spirit and when it's just one of these other spirits? How do you know? This is called discernment. It's, it's talked about as a spiritual gift in the New Testament. Discernment means the ability to judge well. Okay? It's a person having the ability to judge correctly. 
This is Paul. This is not John, but this is Paul in a letter called 1 Corinthians. And he says this, talking about a very similar thing. He says, the person without the spirit, the, the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, the person without that spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. John and Paul are very much in agreement on this kind of idea. So it arises for John that there's this super important thing that he's going to spend the rest of this little section talking about, and that is he wants the people in his church that are left to learn how to discern. So when other people come in and say things, he means literally, when someone comes up with a microphone in the front like this, like me, and says something that you can discern whether it's true or not. The word discern, the idea of discern, or what John says uh, to test it, is like the word examine. And actually, it can get weird. So people that like discernment can become like this. Um, I'll talk more about this in a second, specifically, but it's like everything is for discernment, you know? It's like, um, let me see if what he's saying is really true, you know? Like everywhere I go, and I'm the person that's like pointing out error, even if I'm wrong. It's usually poor discernment everywhere I go. And, and often what we're doing is we're not discerning really what's true. We're, we're like, uh, it's like a witch hunt. And we're discerning based on not necessarily what John's saying here, but by our preference, by our style preference, by the way someone speaks or what they, like the, the way they say it or the, the, the ambiance of the place or how loud it is or quiet it is or if they use the vocabulary that we like. So yes, some weird discernment going on. I, I'll, I might mention more of that, but the word discernment, and this is really important, although I know I'm kind of just sitting on it, is not so much pointing out things that are false, but recognizing things that are true. It's assumed that much is false. That's not a surprise. But there's many pseudo-prophets in the world. Lots of people saying things about God intentionally or unintentionally that are not true. Churches and out of churches. It's not a surprise. The job of a person that follows Jesus is to be able to discern the truth, not just the error. In fact, the, the Greek word carries with it the connotation of being able to recognize when something is good. I, I hope that you get that, that that's the posture of a person that's discerning. Is They're not judgmental. They're looking for good and truth. And they're wanting to recognize it. And when they recognize it, they call it what it is. They're not surprised when it's not. What this means, though, is that it's not automatically clear to people which spirit is which. That's why he's writing it. Apparently, it's not obvious. Apparently, it wasn't obvious to them when someone came up and spoke that it actually was, was not about Jesus, but it was the devil saying it. You'd think that would be obvious, but John says it wasn't. It wasn't clear to people. The, the community broke apart. Many people followed after it. Many people were probably still confused. That's why he's writing this whole letter. This is why, uh, you know, it's actually not the things that are blatantly untrue that are usually the, the problem. Uh, this is, if you read Jesus's, if you listen to me when I read that thing from, about Jesus, I love what he says in John chapter 8, that, that uh, When the devil lies, he speaks his native language. I love that. Not that that's a great thing, but I just love, he's a good speaker. Um, 
You see, he's saying is, it's a lie. And a, and a good liar <laughs> says something that sounds true, but it's not, right? That's the point of a lie. And so, so he's saying that people need discernment because it's difficult to judge well. It's difficult. So again, how do we know which spirit is which? The next, the next line. This is how you can recognize the spirit. He says very clearly, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that has not acknowledged Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. By the way, one of the reasons why sometimes we'll, we'll preach through a text like this in January, we probably won't do this. We'll have something that's more of like a, a specific topic that we're going to talk about, a theme. But the reason why we do this, one of the reasons, is because we wouldn't usually say what John says. But because I have to read it, I have to say what he says, which is important. But my natural way of understanding the world is, is not to say what John says. So that's why it's good for you that we do this regularly, because it's important. So he says, the answer is quite simple. And I want you to see that it's specific to John's context first. So he says, okay, so, so Elena's in the church, and she's there. She's made it through the church that broke apart. And so she's saying, well, how do I discern next time? And he says, I'll make it. I think he's actually, he's clear, and I imagine him being a bit like, it's obvious. Okay, so he says, if anyone comes up to the front and acknowledges, okay, that Jesus has come in the flesh, meaning that Jesus was a real person, a human being, and that he was the Messiah, that the Messiah came in the flesh, they're from God. Okay, so if someone comes up to the front and they say Jesus was a human being, then, I, then they're good. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty simple. But, okay, what's the other side? Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus... So if, if you say positively, Jesus, just stay with me. If you say positively, Jesus is, was a human being, you're good. If, but, if they don't acknowledge Jesus, that's all he says. If they don't acknowledge Jesus, they're not from God. Black and white. What's he talking about? First of all, it matters what someone says. Okay, this is what I mean. I wouldn't have showed up today to talk about discernment, <laughs> but we're talking about discernment. So I think it's kind of from God that he wants us to talk about discernment. He's pointing out, if you've been here, the very specific theological error that these people are making. And that is that they were teaching that the Messiah, Jesus, they believed in the Messiah. They believed that Jesus would come and deliver them. But they did not believe that that person could be a human being. It bothered them the thought that God would become a man, a physical man, and die on a physical cross murdered by the empire that they hated. That didn't make any sense theologically. God was great, not weak. And God was great and matter and our life that we live, which is kind of like a living hell, is not good. It's not good at all. And so God is spirit. In him there is no evil. Kind of sounds like, if you don't know that much, kind of sounds like you could catch on. God is spirit. It says that, right? God is spirit. He's not man. He's different from us. He's not the same. And so they would say things like this, countering the, the very truth of what Jesus did, countering his own words, his own life. 
And so he says this, I want to make it simple. If somebody, because it's an error that's going on in his time, right? It's like, if somebody says today that Jesus was not divine, right? It's like, that's a pretty common idea. If somebody comes up to the front here and says, Jesus was not God, he's not divine, don't listen to what they're saying. It's pretty simple. That is what he's saying. It's that simple, first of all. Basic theological point, the life of Jesus, the centrality of his, that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he was come from God, to earth, that the details of his life through the Gospels are true, that he was perfectly man, perfectly God, that he lived in this tension during life. I mean, in like he was witnessed by people. It was not a mirage. He claimed himself to be one with the Father. He claimed to be the only way to God. He spoke against religious people and irreligious people. And he was arrested by the Roman Empire he was put to death for, for essentially the crimes that they deemed him worthy of, whether he did them or not. And he was put into a grave rejected by most people, even many of his own followers. He rose from the dead after three days, was witnessed by a, a ton of people, if you read Paul's account. And then he appeared to his disciples, gave them a mission, ascended to heaven where he says he still rules today. That's the message, that's the basic message of the gospel, minus what you have to do if you want to follow Jesus. He's concerned with that, by the way. He's not concerned with other beliefs right now. He's not concerned with what you think about the end times. He's not concerned with what you think about spiritual gifts, even. He's not concerned about these things. He's concerned about the centrality of the message of Jesus. So he says, so basically, you can... You can when he says, was Jesus a man? You can put, I think, and be safe, other core beliefs about Jesus in there. It's that important. But then he says this, which is more interesting to me. But every spirit, not just a person, right? He wants to say, when I'm speaking, I really hate this. He says, when I'm speaking, you're listening to a spirit, just like if someone else says something. In your micro church, or from the front, or, or over there, wherever you are, he says, people speaking publicly, especially, people speaking with a kind of authority, are speaking by a spirit. I don't want to get weird. I don't want people to like start, but this is what John says. He says, anyone that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So what's that mean? The word acknowledge, uh, a good way to interpret it would be the word allegiance. It doesn't mean acknowledge Jesus like, yep, we're good, he's there. Do you acknowledge him? Yeah. No, it means, have you confessed him? The word is actually confessed. Have you given your life over to him? Have you pledged allegiance to him above and beyond anything and everything else? He says, if someone has not done that, then don't listen to them. In fact, this was true of the people that were speaking to them. They thought they had, but they had not pledged allegiance to the Jesus of Scripture. Okay? And what, you, what I think is really important here is there's a tension to me and what he says is that a person needs to have the correct beliefs about Jesus, actually. To believe in the Jesus of the Bible is actually important. And at the same time, to have in their heart pledged allegiance to him. Because it's possible for actually for me to say everything correctly, I think, and for me to not have pledged allegiance to Jesus in my heart. And you shouldn't listen to a word I say, even if it's true. And it's possible... It's possible for someone to think they have pledged allegiance to Jesus, to love him, to love spiritual things, but to not actually have pledged allegiance to the, to the real Jesus.
So here it is. It kind of simplifies things. I'm bothered by how simple he makes discernment, but that's what he says at first. But here's what it means to me. It does not matter how good of a sermon the person gives. How do you discern something's from God or not? It doesn't matter how good the sermon is. It doesn't matter how correct the person thinks they are. By the way, this goes for everybody, even if you don't speak publicly. If you speak to anyone, then, then this is you. How, it does not matter how right they think they are, how charismatic they are, meaning in every sense of that word, how charismatic they are. It doesn't actually matter what their reputation is, not right here. It doesn't matter their intentions, their accomplishments, their good deeds, other true things they believe outside of these core things about Jesus. It does not matter the miracles that they've done or witnessed. It does not matter the education they've received, the amount of people that follow them, the books they've written. It does not matter to John, chiefly. It matters if they pledged allegiance to the Jesus of Scripture. And if they will discern themselves allow other people to discern them, to constantly make the first thing in their life to discern that what their life is following after is the real Jesus and to give everything to him. And he says, that's the kind of person that you should listen to. And that's the kind of person you should be. So he goes further and he says, okay, I'll make it even simpler. There's only two spirits in the world. I find this in, I don't, people don't really talk about this, I feel like, but it's what John says. There's, only kind, there's spirits everywhere, but there's only two kinds. There's the Holy Spirit, and there's the spirit of the Antichrist. Gotta love John. And if you were here two weeks ago, I talked about the Antichrist, meaning the anti-Messiah. It's a drive to replace Jesus, is what's at the heart, the root of the, the Antichrist spirit that he talks about. So he says there's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or the spirit of truth, and there's the spirit of falsehood, or the spirit of the Antichrist. There's only one or the other. So he says this is, anyone can discern. There's only two things going on. So why did people follow after this other spirit then? Like, well, if you love Jesus, why would you follow after something else? And I think it's, it's the same reason we would, or we do, and it's the back to that antichrist kind of idea I talked about, that there's a place in all of us, a place that wants to actually replace Jesus, that wants to find something else to put in the place of him. It's the reason why, I don't know about you, it's the reason why we're not fulfilled right now, even if you've heard the message of the gospel before. That's the radical thing about about what we do here. It's the radical thing about the New Testament is that that's supposed to be enough. The simple message of Jesus of what he's done for you is, is it. That's what Paul's passion about. That's what John's passion about is that is it. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything. Everything else that you think is complicated and interesting is a sub point to that. And the thing is, I think it's, it's more than common it's universal, I think, that people become Christians, that they hear the gospel, and soon after, it just doesn't feel like enough anymore. Surely that can't be it. And so when something else comes along, something more interesting, whether it's a theological point or it's just something outside, you know, whatever it is, shopping. I don't always talk about shopping. Whatever it is, we replace Jesus with it, equally in error. So for those of us who, who follow Jesus, we're tempted to follow after other spirits, actually. That's what John's saying to us that we have to accept. 
That's humility. I'm tempted to follow after other things, other spirits. Because often it's not God that I want. There's parts of me that's not really God that I want. It doesn't feel like enough. Not what I've seen of that. What I want is something that's a little bit more emotional. Emotion's not bad, by the way. I'm going to talk about this in a second. But what I want is an emotional experience. I don't want God. I want a good feeling because I can't trust that he's there. I want something that's a little more intellectually challenging and something that sounds a little less foolish. I think this text is super foolish, especially what he says in a few minutes to the world. I want to be accepted by my peers. And so the gospel just doesn't feel like enough to me sometimes. I mean that. I got nothing else. That's all I got. Just this simple message. I'm prone to replace it with something. Often, it's not the simple Jesus that we want. This is why we need discernment. I hope this changes it maybe from being something that's spooky and out there to something that's everyday. I don't often want the simple Jesus. What do I mean by that? I don't want the Jesus that's going to both bring complete acceptance to me and shine a light on the most broken parts of who I am at the same time. I don't want the simple Jesus that's going to ask me to give up my life. That he just keeps asking me. I don't know about you. He keeps asking me the same thing. Give up your life. Give up your ability. Give up your strength. Give up your desire. Give up your body. Become like a child. He's just been saying the same thing to me for a long time. And I'm not sure that there's a lot else. I mean, there's other things for sure. There's tons of things it says. But I think sometimes we, we feel like we haven't gotten it yet. You know? And I'm not saying that God is not infinite. In fact, the next thing I say is going to be that. It's enough. It's more than enough. But I think sometimes we feel, if you're anything like me, that maybe it's not. Maybe it hasn't answered all my questions. I get this a lot. I don't know about you. Uh, maybe people don't ask you as many questions as they ask me. But I often, get, I often get people's questions that feel like this. What about this? You know? How do you answer this? And it's usually like whatever, whatever people are talking about at the time. You know? It could have been something else six months ago, but right now it's this. And as if it's a hard question. I don't know. The answer is the same to me. It's not that complicated. Just give it up. Trust. Let go. Love God. Love them. I don't mean to oversimplify it. I mean that you have the answer already. It's not complicated. We don't want to become like children, by the way. I think some of us, that's a, that's a thing that's, that we're talking about maybe in Christian circles these days. But you know, children are misunderstood all the time. It's like they can't be understood sometimes, right? They don't know how to express themselves correctly. Children are misunderstood and they're forgotten. And as much as being a child of God means receiving from God, being a child of God means being forgotten by the world, which is what Elena talked about last week. It means being forgotten and misunderstood by people. The simple message of Jesus is a well that never runs dry, so I'm not saying that it's small. It's a well that never runs dry, and it redeems, for some reason this is what it brought to me this time, it redeems everything about us, including what's important in this topic, the intellectual parts of us and the emotional parts of us. What I mean by that is you will never hear a person that's mature. You will never hear a person that's mature make a dichotomy between the intellect and the emotions. What Jesus does is he puts us all back together again.
with our own personality, with who we are, where we can be redeemed emotionally. Maybe we've never been able to connect with that. Or we can be redeemed intellectually. We can accept that and realize the gift that God's given us. Instead of separating ourselves from one another, this discernment, I'm talking about discernment all across the board, instead of separating ourselves from one another, we're being drawn to find things somewhere else. So on this point, application for you, what do you want more than Jesus? I said the same thing two weeks ago. What do you want more? Do you want different ideas? Are the ideas that you've been given from Jesus not enough? Are you looking for acceptance beyond the acceptance that Jesus has given you? Are you looking for a spiritual experience greater than what you've received? And I know there's tension here. I'm not saying those things are completely bad, but you in your own heart are the one that knows where these things lie. Is it enough today? I mean, today could be the last day of my life. You realize that? I don't know about you, but I guess it's true. And what else do I need today? What else do I need? And if I have to ask myself that question, I'm going to start crossing things off really quick. And Jesus, in his simplicity, is going to become central to me. Beyond the people I love and my gratitude for life will just be Jesus. And I'm not interested in divisive theological points anymore. And I'm not interested in how I'm different than you. And I'm not interested in things I didn't get to do in life. I'm just thankful for Jesus because Jesus has offered me life eternal and with him, my life doesn't end. That's the message of the gospel. And I know those are simple things, but I hope you can see that that is the heart of like what John is protecting. Yes, it's about whether Jesus came in the flesh, but it's just because that's what's happening. It's about the fact that these people are replacing the simplicity of Jesus with something that sounded awesome, really in that day. Something that sounded special something that sounded more intelligent, less foolish. Who would believe that the guy hanging on the cross was God? We saw him ourselves. Next part. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The word children here actually could be better translated. You, dear little children... Okay? It's, it's the Greek form of the word children with the kind of like a diminutive quality added to it, meaning he's emphasizing these are little kids. Not just kids, little kids. Why would he do that? The, the, that word, when it's used usually, like in our day, it would mean the same thing. When he talks about little kids, it, it assumes that it's little children that are dearly loved, like, a, like, a, like a, someone's new baby. So he wants you to have that image. Okay? You all... Dearly loved little children are from God. By the way, he needs to tell us this because apparently we're not sure. Okay? You, I'm serious. You, dear children, are from God and you have conquered them, overcome them. Little children, like babies, dearly loved, you have overcome these super awesome people because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When he uses the word world here, what he means is that everything outside of God's kingdom, everything outside of perfect relationship with God, the word world assumes a place in which trust is not given to God, okay? Where allegiance is not given to Jesus. That's all it means, okay? You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. They're not sure they're from God, I, I think, 
because the people that have been teaching them have said this, we have the Holy Spirit, which is why he needs to tell them who has the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. This is a truth, not that. We're from God. If you'd like to believe correctly, follow us. So he needs to say, you weak people, okay, are God's dearly loved children. And although these people just broke apart the community, you've overcome them, past tense. You've already conquered them. How? Because number one, you're a child that can't do anything. So the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. The, the word of, just to, and then I'll move on, the word of, because he keeps saying it, of God, of the world, from God, from the world, is a little Greek word, ek. And what it means is, it, 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 when Jesus casts out a demon from somebody, he says ekbalo, which means to cast out. And it uses that same ek. And it's a term that's used in many different words throughout the New Testament. It's kind of an important word. And the significance of it here is it means something has come out of something, has come out of somewhere, and it's going somewhere else. Okay? Just like any spirit that Jesus casts out goes somewhere. By the way, when, when Jesus, when, when, uh, in, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit, it says, like, disperses the people. If you don't know what that means, it's okay. But disperses the people. He ekbalos them. Jesus casts demons out. The Holy Spirit casts people into the world and out of the church. Think about that. Okay. How do we overcome things then at the end? How do we overcome, whether it's false teaching, how do we overcome the issues in ourselves? How do we overcome the evil in the world? It's a big topic, you know? And John, like everything else, has a very simple answer to it. We overcome them by simply recognizing and having someone in us who is greater than someone who is out there. John, I think, wants to say that we don't do anything. Like a dearly loved child... Like a, ba- like a dearly loved, I was going to say baby, okay, so it's a clear. Like a dearly loved baby, know the fact that the one who is in you has already conquered the one who is out there. And I actually think that although there's part of me that thinks that's not really good advice, <laughs> it's not very practical, it's the message of the gospel. So again, if my life is ending today, how, you know, what about the people that I love that I leave behind? I mean, what about my life and the things that haven't happened? And, and what about evil in the world and what will happen? And, and he says, just know that the one who is in you has already conquered the one who is in the world. And this is actually the message of the gospel that Jesus has already won, that he's already conquered evil, that he's already conquered my sin. Think about that. He's conquered the sin that I can't overcome. He's already done it. That should give me some faith. To say, yeah, I just need to walk that out. Figure that out. It has to do with surrender and trust. John says this in the Gospel of John. Chapter 16, verse 22, quotes Jesus. I have told you these things so that in, in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. What's John's call to us? Is he's to say, what are we supposed to do? The community's been broken apart. My life is broken apart. What should I do? What should I do first? And he says, I think Jesus would say, mixed with what John's saying here, take heart. The one who is in you has already done it. That's why it's foolishness. You get it now? That's why it's somebody that doesn't get it, it's foolish. 
What are you going to do about it? The one who is in me has already done it. Now as we end, the second way that John explains how we test spirits is this last little bit. They are from the world and they speak, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. It's possible to read this and think that John is just full of himself, you know? He's overconfident. He's about to trip and fall, if you know the proverb. Like, he's... But I want you to see what he's saying here. First of all, he's speaking from a place of weakness, okay? He's speaking from a place of having been his church broken apart. He's speaking from a place of, you know what? He has this problem. He's also got other problems because the, govern, the governing authority wants to kill him. He doesn't even mention that, okay? So he's got deep issues right now. And what he says is first a truth, okay? It's hard, it's foolishness to the world. This is another one. They who are from the world, remember it's black and white. Those who are in right relationship with God are here and those who are not are in the world. And just like Jesus says, there's this truth that those who are in the world cannot hear God. They cannot hear the things of God. They cannot hear truth. But those who have relationship with God can trust that they hear from God, can trust that they know the truth. And how do you know, first point, do you pledge allegiance to Jesus and the Jesus of scripture? That's it. Then you can trust that you're a child of God, dearly loved, who's been given the Holy Spirit inside you and the Holy Spirit has overcome the world already, meaning you, in a way, by your faith, have overcome the world. It's an amazing thing. And he says, so therefore, when we test, we should know who's the audience that listens to these people. He's assuming first, by the way, that the person is not pledging allegiance to Jesus, okay? So the first step, it's not just who's the audience. Oh, I don't really like those people, and those people listen to Steph, so therefore, I don't really listen to Steph. That's not the whole picture. The whole picture is, does the person first believe in the Jesus of Scripture, and then after, who listens to them? John chapter 8, verse 47, like it says, whoever belongs to God hears, God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you, you do not belong to God. It's actually good news, by the way. It's not about intellect. It's not about study. It's about belonging, pledging allegiance to Jesus. Whether, whether you're here and you have a lot of education or you're here and you don't know half of what I'm saying. It says that you can hear God. It's good news. It's a positive thing he's saying. So what he's, all he's trying to say is that the world, there are people that cannot hear what God says. And he's not saying, therefore, look, I'm John, and anything I say, you should listen to. And those people who disagree with me are of the world. And those people who agree with me are of God. He's not saying that. He's saying those who listen to the gospel that I preach, what I'm saying about Jesus, because I met him, those who listen to that those people are also of God. Just like when Jesus spoke, those who listened to Jesus, he said, you're of God. And those who he said, you can't hear me because your father is the devil. Jesus is more, more uh, intense than John, by the way. It's the same today. He says, those who believe the message of the gospel that listen to us, those people are also brothers and sisters. And those who think it's foolish that God loves you, by the way, this is the message, that God loves you and has given everything for you. Those that think that's foolish and irrelevant, those people are not from God, he says, and that's how you can begin to discern. Very simple. The world can't hear what God is saying. 
We speak a different language than the world. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know for a minute that we're different. Our first language is not English. Like to John, it's not English. It's not French. This is why we can be united. It's neither. For John, in his, I know this is very prophetic and kind of like, that's what he's doing. He's saying it's neither. We don't speak a language that's English or French. We speak a different language that we all have in common and that people that don't follow this man, Jesus, don't know. Don't be surprised when they don't listen. Don't be surprised when they reject and begin to discern where Jesus is in the world. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And that's how John ends to them, and that's enough. Falsehood means an error which results in wandering into sin. It matters what we think. It matters what we say. What we believe, we, it then guides us into a different way of life. Why it matters to John. Discernment means two things. If they're committed to the real Jesus, and what kind of audience does the person have? And well, and Aubin and Lisa, you can come up. It's not dis- so discernment. We'll just end here. Discernment. My prayer is that Jubilee would be a place of healthy discernment, which is rare. Not strange discernment. Not people like, you know, thinking they're right and always waiting for somebody to slip up and Those people usually need you to speak a certain way. They need you to talk about the end times. They need you to use certain vocabulary. They need you to speak at a certain volume. They need to judge whether it's from God. I hope you've seen today that for John, the way that you judge if someone's from God is whether they believe in the basics of Jesus and whether their life is given over to him. It's funny that these are the things of discernment, things that seem obvious. that people don't usually think much about. If you were at leadership formation um, last month, I talked about humility and servanthood, and, and that for Paul, this is maybe the, the main way that someone discerns whether somebody is a leader, a Christian leader, whether they're an apostle of Jesus, whether they are sent by Jesus, is actually, in addition to they believe in Jesus, they've given their life to Jesus, is that they look like him, that they're humble, that they're a servant of all like Jesus was, and that you can tell when they're not because they put on a show and they're not broken and they don't love. And it doesn't matter what they say because they're not him. And this is Paul's very strong statement. And that's kind of how we're going to end today is I want you to consider that what John is telling us here is that he saw Jesus in the world, right? He saw him and he discerned correctly this is the son of God. This is the point of life. And Jesus left. And now there are many pseudo Jesuses in the world. And John's saying, I want you to be able to recognize like I did where the son of God is. You see what it is? I want you to be able to recognize when Jesus walks up and begins teaching. And how do, you, how do we know that? How are we supposed to know? Because there's all kinds of spiritual forces in the world that would love to distract and confuse us and replace Jesus with something else. And he's saying, you will know because they represent the Jesus of Scripture. And if I can simplify it for a minute, this is it. That they look like Jesus, that they sound like Jesus. That they look like people that have given their lives over to Jesus. That they look like the disciples who were not perfect, but kept following after him. 
And even when they wronged him and he corrected them, they kept going. This is what it looks like. So for Paul, that says they're humble and they're servants and they're broken for all. And they don't use their position to gain authority over others. And for John, he's saying it's that they're not willing to give up the simple foolishness of Jesus. They're not willing to give it up even when people leave and even when people call them foolish and even when people tell them or they tell themselves that there's got to be more to life than this. And he says, that's the discernment. And I think, judge yourselves. This is a theme in scripture as well. Judge yourselves. Look at yourself. Discern. Not to a place of shame, to a place of it's a miracle the Holy Spirit would be in me. Father, show me any way in me that is unclean. Show me any way in me that represents Jesus falsely. Show me any way of which I speak and it's not God. Do I live by the Spirit of God that seeks to make much of Jesus, that loves Him and is loved by Him? Or do I live by a Spirit that sometimes just wants to be accepted by the world around me? that wants to be understood by the world, that wants to belittle and ignore Jesus, even if it's hard to say that, that's what I'm drawn to do? Or do I live by a spirit that's other, that's different, that's not proud, by the way, that doesn't think I'm better than people that don't know Jesus, that's just other, that loves people like Jesus did, that seeks first and foremost to know Jesus and be known by Jesus and lives with that kind of thing that I say, if today was the last of my life, that you live with that kind of the substance that you find there of giving up things and giving yourself to Jesus that lives like that, not in perfection, but in a trajectory. The hard lesson of John that we're kind of forced to talk about today is he says that we are either of God or of the enemy, actually. And I, and I want to leave the tension, even though I'd rather not. We're either of truth or we're of falsehood. And that we will live our lives in a pattern from that which we come. Where I've spent my time, where my source is, where I come from, that is what I will speak out of. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.